All right, First John, we're chapter 4, right? Yes. I was just reading over this in my office thinking, okay, wait, are we 4? I hope so, because that's what I've been going over. Um, so again, I, yeah, I don't think we need to, to rehash everything we've been rehashing over and over, but you know, the idea that John at the end of his life is looking back and saying, how do I boil this stuff down and what's the, you know, what are the most important things? Um, and you know, whenever you get to those transition points in life, certainly um, the biggest transition, <laughs> you know, you're looking at the end of your life and you want to impart to people the, the um, you know, the few things that are really, really, really important. This is, this is where you go. You, okay, what do I boil this down to? Um, out of all the things that I've known, that I've grown, that I've experienced, what's really, really, really key? Um, and, and this is it. And it was interesting. I was looking at, at uh, the Gospel of John, chapter 15. Um, and, and when Jesus is talking about, I am the true vine, uh, and, and all of that, um, one of the things uh, that Jesus says... At the end of that little section in John fifteen seventeen, this is my command, love each other. That's what Jesus said uh, in John fifteen seventeen. This is my command, love each other. And it just reminded me of John the Apostle as he's writing this. It's all about loving God and loving each other. And, and it makes sense that perhaps he would be the old man walking into the room of everybody and his one... You know, message was, dear little children, love one another. I mean, he's just, again, we've seen it before. What you're getting from us is just what we have to give to you. It's what we've seen and heard. And, and apparently, the big thing that he saw and heard from Jesus was love. Love God and love each other. And so he hits that really hard again throughout this whole letter that we have of First John, but certainly uh, in chapter 4. So uh, let's go through this. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. In verse 1, dear friends, don't be, don't, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Um, it, when he says test the spirits, he, he's talking about use, use your critical brain and think. Don't just believe what you hear, as good as it might sound. You, you use the critical, like your, your ability to think and to reason, and think and reason about what you've, not just what you've heard, but think and reason about the life of the one who's telling you what you're hearing. And so that word test, he's talking about the moral and the theological test. Of those who are teaching, test them. Make sure that what they're saying fits doctrinally, and how they're living fits behaviorally in obedience. So, so don't just believe. So uh, apparently, 
Um, some people were, because people looked good and they said, what they said sounded good, the, 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 the Christians were just believing what, what they were hearing. And John's saying, don't be fooled by them now. Test them. Make sure whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone out in the world. This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. What he's saying here is it, it's, it's a real simple test here. And remember, he's given us, he's given us three tests, right? Um, uh, and here he's talking about the obedience test and the doctrine test. He's saying, he's saying there's this obedience test. They have to, they have to pass the obedience test. Uh, and their doctrine has to fit with, with what we know. And the, at, at the heart of all of this, the way you know is that every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. What he's saying there when he says that word acknowledge, he's not just saying that, uh, you know, I say with my lips that Jesus came from God. He's, he, that word acknowledge is that, he, that, that the person says it, believes it, and has experienced it in their heart. Like, 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 like there's a depth of not just knowledge but experience of this relationship with Christ. And it's just not a personal relationship with Christ. It is an outward profession of Christ. That's what it means to acknowledge. And acknowledges that Jesus Christ has what? What's it say? Come in the flesh is from God. What he's saying here, and this is what we've talked about in the past, is that there is a deep abiding understanding and profession that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is from God. Remember John 1.1? 1, 1? The word was with God. The word was God. And made his dwelling among us. That's what he's saying. He's saying that, that there's both the acknowledgement, the understanding, and the profession that this Jesus is the Christ who is God, who has come in flesh. It's, it's what we've talked about before, the hypostatic union. This, this idea that, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. That, that, that is at the crux of what it is to be a, um, uh, of the Spirit of God. And anyone who differs from that, anyone who differs and doesn't profess with their mouth and believe that Jesus is God, the Father's God, Jesus is God, the Spirit is God. That's, that's what we call the Trinity. They are of um, same substance and, and the same substance and same nature. God the Father is of the same substance and the same nature as God the Son, and God the Son is of the same substance and nature as God the Father. And God the Spirit is of the same substance and nature as God the Son and God the Father, and likewise. It's one God manifest in three persons. Um, in, in, in every every analogy that we can come up with falls far short. Uh, because, you know, we, I mean, how many times have we, heard, have we heard people talk about the Trinity as an egg? Mm-hmm. An egg is a shell, a yolk, and, and the white, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and this, you've never heard that? No, no, no you never heard that? Okay. Well, well, well so here's the problem. Here, here's, here's what the problem is. Those three things make up an egg. But when you talk about the shell, you don't talk about the shell is not the egg. It's a part of the egg. The white of the egg is not the egg. 
to part of the egg. If all you have is a yolk, you don't say I have an egg. You say I have an egg yolk. And so it, it falls short because Jesus isn't a part of God. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit isn't part of God. The Spirit is God. Same thing with water. Water manifests itself in liquid, vapor, and ice. But it's a manifestation of a, of a substance. It isn't necessarily the substance. We don't say, I have water that's frozen. We say, I have ice. <laughs> and, and so, and so, it, so this, is, this, is, this is what is so unique about the Christian faith, is that when we talk about God, we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. One God in three persons of same substance and same nature. Um, and what John is saying here is that this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that this Jesus has come from God, John 1.1, 1, 1, the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God, because He is God. Any, in, anybody who says anything even slightly different from that does not come from the Spirit of God. So this wipes every other religion off the map right from the beginning. Every other religion teaches something different about Jesus. There's no other religion on the planet because every other religion has come from the, the, the mind of man. And no other religion says that Jesus is God. Muslims, Hindu, that, that Jesus was a prophet, or Jesus elevated the spiritual things of self-sacrifice and humility and nonviolence. Mormonism. Jesus was a man who was really, really good that became a God. Jehovah's Witness. That Jesus was actually created in heaven. And when, when, when the Bible says that Jesus is God's only begotten son, they literally mean begotten. And it's it, it, like none of it believes what the Christian Bible teaches and what the historical church has affirmed. In this hypostatic union that Jesus was fully God and fully man. And, and that the Father, Son, and the Spirit uh, have the same nature and the same substance. It's super important for us to understand that if we're going to claim to be Christian. This is the nature of God. Now, the function of the Father is different than the function of the Son, which is different than the function of the Spirit. But it's God. Jesus is God, but Jesus isn't the Father. The Father's God, but the Father isn't the Spirit. The Spirit is God, but the Spirit isn't the Father or Jesus. But it's all God. You understand that? Do we it's, have to understand? Yeah. Or do we just have to totally believe? <laughs> well, it, it, it's important to wrestle with to begin understanding because it has a profound effect on, on how you read Scripture, on how you understand Scripture, um, and, and it, it protects you from error. Okay? How do you uh, of the same kind, of the same entity, that it is the same. Um, and so, I'm going to erase that on the board. You people who are listening online, this is what you get for not showing up the Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know if they need this on Sunday, but they can redraw it. Um, and so, so, we would say this is God. Okay, And again, everything we come up with falls far short because this was the mind of God and we're trying to put it in the mind of man. Um, and so it all falls far short. Um, but the best I can do 
is just give you the best I can do. And so if we look at this whole thing, this whole circle, and we're going to put God right in the middle of it and say this is God. But God exists substantially, same substance, same nature. Homoousios is the Greek word. That, that this is all, this is God. And so what we know is that the Father is God. Okay? We know that. And we know that the Son is God. And we know that, I'm sorry, the Spirit is God. And we know that the Son is God. Okay? This is what we understand. Okay? Same substance. God. Okay? But, and I realize that my, you know, drawing isn't super good. Okay? But, three functions. And so what we know, the Spirit is not the Son, and the Son is not bad, upside down, huh? <laughs> is not the Father, and the Father is not the Son. Spirit. Right, spirit. Oh, the Spirit, yeah. And, and so, you know, it, 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 this is what we understand, and, and, and this is this is what we understand as the Trinity. And that it's God, but these are not the same. Different function, but it's God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Does that make sense? A little bit? And, and, so, and so what John is saying is that it's, it's real easy to understand who is from the Spirit of God. Because it's that. It's those who profess that. And, and, and so everyone else, as good as they might sound, and we're going to talk about it in a minute, if it doesn't uphold that, they are not from the Spirit of God. And if they're not from the Spirit of God, where are they from the Spirit of? The evil one. And so he makes it really, really easy for us, <laughs> if we can understand that part. Um, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Um, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So he's saying, that, like, like there's only two teams, right? God and the devil. There's no neutrality. Th this was what Dennis and I were talking about the other night. He just said, do you realize John 10, 10? The thief comes, but only two. Still killing his story. Like he has one agenda. There's no neutrality. And, he's, and John is saying, you either believe this about Jesus, or you're from the, you have the spirit of the Antichrist. And, and this is what I love about, you know, old people, old men and old women. They just don't mince words and they don't beat around a bush anymore. Like, well, I'm old. I'm going to die. What do I have? I don't care if I offend you. I got nothing to prove and no one to impress. You know? So, and he says, it, it just is what, it's, it's that simple. Um, so then he says, verse 4, you, dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. When he says, you are from God and have overcome them, who's he talking about that they have overcome? Those who don't believe. Not just those who don't believe. The ones who have the spirit of the Antichrist who have come out from them who are preaching something other than Jesus the Messiah from God. 
And when he says overcome them, he doesn't mean beat them up. He means you're not fooled by their false doctrine. And that's why it's important for us to grow up in our faith, to understand some of these things so we don't get fooled by fine-sounding doctrine. Because there is a lot of fine-sounding doctrine out there. And the more we can understand this, the more we can help other people understand this. Because I guarantee you, every generation coming up after my generation is being fooled by fine-sounding doctrine. There is no hell. Love is love. I mean, all kinds of stuff. Uh, And so the more we understand this, the more we can defend from bad doctrine in ourselves and not be fooled by it. You know how, um, what's the, what's the U S government agency that handles uh, counterfeit bills? Treasury Treasury department. You know how the treasury department trains their men and women to recognize counterfeit bills. They look at the originals. They don't, they don't look at one counterfeit bill. Because there's too many variances in counterfeit bills. There's it's too many. So all they do is have them study, study, study the original. Because when you know the original so well, the counterfeit pops. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And, and, and so he, he's, he's, he's saying that, that you recognize the counterfeit doctrine, the counterfeit ideology, the counterfeit theologies, because you know the truth. And if we don't know the truth, it's going to be real hard to spot the counterfeits. Right? There's a lot of mega churches out there. Well, well uh, I mean, just think about us. If, if I had a counterfeit $20 bill, in my, I don't know that I would recognize it unless it was like Monopoly money. <laughs> you know, because I don't know the original $20 bill that well. And, and that's, that's pretty systemic in the Christian faith. And, and so this is, this is what John's saying. He said, they are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. And the world listens to them. So again, he's saying they are. Who's the they are? False the people are spouting off false doctrine. He said they're from the world and therefore they speak the viewpoint of the world. And what happens when you speak the viewpoint of the world? What, what's the reaction of the world? They listen. Yeah. They love it. Yeah. They love it. Uh, and he's, he's, he's saying they're from the world and they speak the truth of the world and the world listens to them. Listen, the world loves the false messages it hears because it's affirming and comforting to them. There's nothing comforting about the message of sin and separation from God. Nothing comforting about that at all unless you understand grace. Uh, and, and so he's saying the world loves them because they're hearing what the world wants to hear. Um, and the world hates the message of truth. And, and we've just seen it over and over and over. I mean, we're to the point now where we're in a post-truth world. Like, what is truth? Your truth is your truth. My truth is my truth. And, and it, 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 it is simply illogical to, to have two absolute statements that are completely contradictory that the world would say they can be true at the same time. It it just makes no sense. Like if I say, um, my fish bowl is full of water and my goldfish. 
I can't also say, and at the exact same time, my fishbowl is completely empty. Because those are two objective statements that are completely incompatible to say that they're both true at the same time. Do you understand what I'm saying? But the world, because it has rejected truth, will say, oh, no, if that's what you believe, yeah, that's fine. Like, how can you have an X and Y chromosome and, and say you're something other? Like, the truth is the truth. And, and so the Bible, it says, look, the, the people are going to speak what is really fine-sounding to them, and the world's going to love it. And that's why, I'm, you know, I get back to this whole thing where, where when I was flying to Portland, there was this little girl, she's probably fifth grade, and she had on this shirt that had every one of these statements that the world is holding up as this is wow. love is love um, and all these other things. Um, and love is not love, not in the way that's being championed. But it sounds so good, right? I mean, God says to love people. God is love. Here's the problem. God may be love, but love is not God. That's the problem. But until you understand good, sound doctrine, love is not love. Not in the way it's being used. And the moment you buy into that, then a man can love a man sexually, a woman can love a woman sexually, and it's going to get to the point where a, a man can love a boy sexually. That's common. And, and so this is what we have to be very, very careful of. Um, we get into grave danger when love means no correction. We get into grave danger when love means you may not correct me. Um, and it's interesting. Paul talks about this idea of false teachers and what to do about them in 1 Timothy 1.20. He actually deals with someone. And 1 Timothy 1.20, let me just read it for you. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.20. Uh, well, actually, start in, start in verse 9. Sorry, verse 19. Um, now, let me start in verse 18. Timothy, my son, I give you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you may, here it is, Fight the good fight, holding on to faith and a good conscience. Some have rejected them. Have rejected what? Faith, good conscience. Rejected these and so have shipwrecked their faith. They have gone out from us, right? And they're teaching bad doctrine. Verse 20, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to blaspheme. And so Paul says, look, they're going to come out from you. He's telling this group of Christians, they're going to come out from you, and they're going to lose their way. They're going to lose it. They're going to, we call it deconstruct their faith and start believing all this bad theology. And Paul says, I've given them over to Satan. I'm not going to chase them. I'm not going to try to convince them. The Holy Spirit's going to have to do something. And, and, um, and there have been people in my world and in this church that have just gone off the deep end. Um, and when that first starts happening, there's a lot of questions. Have you met with them? Are you talking to them? Well, I'll talk to them, but I'm not going to chase them. I mean, 
At some point, you hand them over to Satan and say, okay, hope it all falls apart so you come back. Not for your ruin, but for your repentance. Um, and he said, this is just how it's going to go down. So, we good so far? You all right? Okay, so that was verse 5. Verse 6, watch this. This sounds, sounds so arrogant when you read it, but it's really not. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. <laughs> listen to what he's saying. Now, we're from God. He's not talking about we as the whole context there. He's talking about the message of the apostles. So he's saying, there's a few of us who got it straight from Jesus. And we are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Because you listen to us is what he's saying. Now, it sounds arrogant, but it's not. Because he's not saying, I am from God and who listens to me. But whoever does not listen to me is not, he's not saying me, he's saying us. And what he's saying here is that the teaching of the apostles is what we need to build our foundation on. They got it from Jesus. He's not saying listen to me, he's saying listen to us, which is the apostolic community. They got it from Jesus. And the apostolic community made that the bedrock and the foundation of the teaching of the first church. And he's saying that is, that's how you know. You listen to us. What he's saying here is if it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, it's not true. Okay? We have to be very clear about that. What he's talking about is the apostolic conservative translation of the historical church. And, and we have lost, in, in, in our day and age, we have lost the authority of the historical church. We don't draw on the early church fathers. We don't say, well, they're the church fathers. There's not Bible, so I'm not going to listen to them. Well, they're talking about biblical foundations. The Nicene Creed, the, Creed of, the Council of Constantinople, all these. All, so they're, they're, they're fleshing out the foundations of Scripture. And, and, and what John is saying is, look, there is an apostolic foundation that comes straight from Jesus through us to the church, the historical church. Never, ever, ever diverge from that message. It might sound old. It might sound outdated. It's true. That's your foundation. And he says, verse 7, dear friends. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Uh, verses 7 and 8, he's going to talk about this command of brotherly love, to love each other. He talks about it from the standpoint that, that our command to love each other is based on God's eternal nature. In other words, what he's saying is because of who God is, because of the nature of God, because he is love, therefore, you must love each other. He's not saying love each other so that you'll be good. Love each other so that you'll be like Jesus. He's not saying any of that. He's saying because of the nature of God, his nature's love, you must love each other. Um, uh, we're, we're told 
uh, in Scripture, uh, there, there's four examples of God's nature. One is here that his nature is the nature of love. Um, one is, is God is spirit, John 4. So his nature is that of spirit. Uh, we're told uh, that God is light, 1 John 1. His nature is light. The one I want to focus on, other than love, spirit, and light, is in Hebrews, which is, this is interesting because it doesn't come from the Gospels. In Hebrews 12, 29, and this is really important for us to understand. Again, we talk about theology and getting a good foundation. Um, Hebrews 12, 29. And he says, this is, this, this, again, we love each other because of the nature of God. And one of the, the, the nature of God, 12, Hebrews 12, 29. For our God is what? You may have it? Do you see? A consuming, A consuming fire. fire. He's love. We like that. He's like, yeah, that's nice. Spirit. Oh, yeah. The other nature that we know of God is a consuming fire. This one is not comforting at all. Because this is drawing, the writer of Hebrews is drawing on the history of Moses and Moses' relationship with God. And he's drawn on Deuteronomy 4.24. So if you go way back to Deuteronomy 4.24, um, Moses is getting ready to die. And he's talking to Joshua and the people. And listen to what he says. Verse 21. The Lord was angry with me because of you. Now, he's not blaming them, but he's saying because of how I responded to you. And God, he solemnly swore that I would not cross the Jordan and enter the good land. The Lord your God has given us as your inheritance. I will die in this land. I will not cross the Jordan. But you are about to cross over and take possession of that good land. Be careful not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God that he made with you. Do not make for yourselves an idol in the form of anything the Lord your God has forbidden. Here it is, verse 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Now Moses, we, we, we understand the nature of God from Hebrews, going all the way back to Deuteronomy 4. And Moses is saying, here's the thing. Um, I really messed up. And because of my sin, God said, I will not inherit the promised land. Do you know what his sin was? Do you remember? Didn't he hit the rock? He struck the rock. God said, speak to the rock. He had done it before. Second time, he struck it. Um, as if he was... And so God said, because of that, you will not enter the promised land. And so Moses is drawing on that. He knows what he's talking about. And he's saying, because of that, because God is a consuming fire and a jealous God, he will not share his glory with anybody. And I tried to take it. And because of that sin, God said, you will not enter the promised land. And he died up on top of Mount Nebo looking out over the promised land. Punishment for striking the rock. And so the idea that one of the nature of God is a consuming fire ought to be a great warning to us. Is God love? Absolutely. And in his love, he will consume and destroy sin. Um, 
And so anyway, John's drawing on the idea of God's nature. And he says, because of his nature, you must love because God is love. Um, I just wanted to throw out those other parts of his nature too so we don't get too warm and fuzzy. (laughs) This is how God showed us his, his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought also, we also ought to love one another. Verses 9 through 11. He's talking about the manifestation of his nature. His nature is love. And the manifestation of his nature was in the historical gift given to Jesus. And so he says in verse 7 and 8, love one another because it reflects the nature of God. And secondly, love one another because it's based on the historical act of the self-sacrificing love of Jesus given to us by the Father. So there's two reasons why we love each other. Because it reflects the nature of God and because it honors and reflects the historical gift of Jesus. There's no other gift, there's no greater gift that's conceivable because there's no greater gift that's possible than the perfect son, sinless son, being given for wretched sinners like me. There's no greater gift conceivable because there's no greater gift that was ever possible. There's two great works of Jesus in the world. Okay, His incarnation, when he left heaven and was born in the flesh, that's called the, the incarnation, and the atonement. His death on the cross to atone for my sin and for your sin. The atonement is the preeminent manifestation of God's love, not the incarnation. Incarnation's, incarnation is important because he had to live a sinless life. But the pinnacle and manifestation of God's love is the atonement. When Jesus laid down his life for the forgiveness of our sin. Um, and the greatness of God's love is seen not just in the atonement through Christ, but is also seen in the beneficiaries of that love. That's the greatness of God's love. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so the greatness of his love is not just that Jesus, the sinless one, came to earth to die. But the greatness of his love is seen in us as the beneficiaries of it. How great the Father has for us that he would send his son to die for us. Do you understand? Um, And because of that, because God's love for us, we are now obligated to love each other. Dear friends, verse 11, since God so loved us because of what he did, it's his nature, it's a historical fact, and because it is profound, because he did, we also ought to love one another. So because of that, we are bound by obligation to love each other. In the same manner that God loved us. In a self-sacrificing manner. Now, I have joked many times. And so has my friend Jim. Ministry's fun. It's the people that are no damn fun. (laughs) Right? 
Like Just like coaching. Football's fun. It's the stupid athletes that are idiots. Teaching's fun. Teaching's fun. It's the stupid suit. I mean, and, and, and John would say, oh, boy. Oh, boy. Eesh. You are obligated, no matter if they're stupid or not, to love them with the self-sacrificial love. That's hard. That is hard. And I'll tell you why it's hard in just a minute. Um, but what we have here in verses 7 and 8 is that um, God's love originates in himself. And what we have in verse 9 and 10 is that God's love is manifested in his son. And what we have in verse 12, and this is ridiculous, that God's love is perfected in us. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love if if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us or is perfected in us. Can you imagine? I would think that God's love is made complete and perfected in his son, in the manifestation, in the incarnation, in the atonement. I would think God's love is made perfect and complete as seen in the world through the cross. And John says, well, those are all point to it, but it is made complete and seen in the world in us. I mean, it's a question to ask uh, ask ourselves. How complete is God's love seen in me right now? You understand what I'm saying? I mean, this is what John says. His love is made complete in us. His love has originated in himself. It's manifested in Jesus, but it's perfected in his people. Is there enough on that verse? Should we move on? I think we should move on. We know that we live in him and he in us because he's given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, there are again, same thing. God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. Verses 13 through 16 is talking about two things, belief and the action of love. So we have to believe it doctrinally and behaviorally. Belief and love. Please understand. He says, if we know we live in him and he in us, so he's talking about an indwelling. Us indwelling in God and God indwelling in us. We're, we are see remain, we remain, that's what he said in the previous chapter, or, or in, the, uh, in, in, in the Gospel of John, we remain in him. Uh, and then he indwells us. So he's talking about this indwelling. Belief and love are not conditions of indwelling. Instead, they're tests and evidence of indwelling. Here's what I mean. It's not that I have to believe the right things and love people so that the Spirit will indwell me. That's not what it's saying. And it's not saying that I have to believe the right things and love people so that I will remain in Christ. That's not what it's saying. What he's saying is, that believing the right things and loving people are tests and evidence that he does indwell and I in him. Does that make sense? So we, we, we look at it as a, as a how-to. 
How do I remain in him? What do I have to do? Well, I got to believe in things and love, and, love, and love people. And God says that's, or John says that's not the way it is. It's not a how-to, it's an evidence of. Uh, and, 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 and this is actually a good thing. Because there is no way that I can love people except that Christ live in me. Right? There is no way I can muster up enough good feelings towards some people to love them unless the Spirit indwells me. There is no way that I will know error from truth unless the Spirit indwells me. Um, and, and, and so, I will do what I need to do from my end to keep myself growing, knowing, and repentant. But I rely on his indwelling for my belief and love. And I'm thankful that I don't have to muster it up on myself. Because I really do believe that ministry is fun. So it's just sometimes that people are stupid. <laughs> I mean, I get it. No, no, not here. It's people who don't come to Wednesday night Bible study. And it's like, it's got to be the spirit in me. Because when it's me and me, it gets real bad real fast. <laughs> and, and so belief and love are the evidence of the indwelling. Now, let that knife cut both ways. If I don't know truth, it may be that the spirit isn't indwelling. Like there's, there's the problem there. And if I'm not loving people, not just acting like I love people, but actually loving people, there might be a... An issue there with the indwelling of the Spirit and letting him have his way. Verse 17, in this way, love is made complete. There it is again. It's made complete among us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment because in this world we are like him. And so, again, he gets back to the second coming. We talked about that last week, I think. How the second coming of Jesus was a was what, what that was a, a real expectation, or maybe it was a couple of weeks ago we talked about that. And he says, "Look, I want you to be ready. Like when Jesus comes back, I don't want you to be surprised. I don't want you to be afraid. Like, oh my gosh, I got to get my life in order. Can you just stay there for just a minute? I got there's a couple things I got to take care of. You know, he's he's saying it in this way. In what way? In us loving." Each other, love is made complete in us so that we have confidence on the day of judgment. Um, because in this world we're like him, as he is, we are. That's what he's saying. And, and so then he gets on this little kick about fear. There's no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And no one who fears, um, because you have to do with punishment, the one who fears is not made perfect in love. He's saying, so I, I don't want you to be afraid of his coming. I want you to live in love so you're not afraid of his coming. Because fear has to do with punishment. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that, there's, that when, you li- when we live with the indwelling of the Spirit and live remaining in Christ, indwelling in God, um, there's no fear of vindictive punishment. God is a consuming God. But he's consumed our sin by Jesus on the cross. And so there's no fear of convictive 
uh, or a vindictive punishment. That's why the Bible says, there is now there, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why? Because the condemnation has been leveled against Jesus. And so God doesn't sit in heaven and say, oh, Chuck, you had one job. Not just for that, you know? And, and that's how, I mean, that's how sometimes we think. Like, why did this go so wrong? Well, maybe God is getting me for something. Right? I mean, it's easy to go to that. Maybe there's something. And it might be, I don't know. But, but, but if there is, it's not that God's being vindictive. Because of this, that's his nature. Love is his nature. And when we're living in that, there's no fear of vindictive punishment. God isn't punishing you. Uh, and that's what, that's, what, that's what John's saying. So, so, so you can have confidence in that. And so verse uh, 19, we love because he first loved us. Um, did you know that the greatest characteristic, and this is real weird for me because I don't feel myself naturally this way, um, and I got a lot of work to do in it, but the greatest characteristic of the Christian is to love. The greatest characteristic of the Christian is to love. And the greatest manifestation of the Spirit in a life is a life of love. I mean, you, you go to the, those who we would consider those who really walk hand in hand with Jesus, it seems like. And they're probably people of great love. Um, and the, the greatest characteristic of the Christian life would be that that is someone who loves people. I mean... We love because he first loved us. It's his nature, and so that's what we do. To be like him is to love. These three remain faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is what? The fruit of the Spirit is what? God's nature is love, and so we love. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, John's an old man who pulls no punches. That's what you say. It's not how you live. You're a liar. <laughs> it's just like, all right, old fella. You could be nice. I don't know. But he's just like, no, nah, here's the deal. If one contradicts what one professes, they're a liar. That's what John's saying. And so this whole chapter has been about the nature of God, which is love, and has been about obedience. And what he's saying here is you're not loving people and you're walking in disobedience, you're a liar. That was what John's saying. Um, uh, and then verse 21, and he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. I want you, if, you, if you're a circular in your Bible, circle command and loves God and must love his brother. So here's a command. And this isn't John's command. This is, he doesn't say, I command you. This, doesn't, this isn't John's opinion. And he has given us this command. This command comes from God. If you say you love God, you have one obligation. You must. It doesn't say try. It doesn't say act like you do. It says you must love your brother. 
And that word love, for love God and love your brother, is the same as the word agape. Self-sacrificing love. Um, so anyway, that's John chapter 4, or 1 John chapter 4. And there's probably enough there for me to sit on for a while and work into my own life and <laughs> work out in my life. Um, so anyway, any thoughts, cries, shouts about rage? 